Market View on Money FM 89.3. I'm Andrea Heng for Your Money, sitting in for Michelle Martin. Good Tuesday morning to you, and good morning to you, Ryan Huang. Morning, Andrea. How are you this morning? So back for a second day. I am back for a second day. I'm hungry for more. Markets were bleeding overnight as investor sentiment sagged amid uncertainty about President Joe Biden's economic agenda and the Omicron variant. The S&P 500 had its biggest three-day drop since September, led by losses in financial and material shares. Oil also kept its biggest sell-off for the month. More on that in just a while. Goldman Sachs has uh, cut their U.S. growth forecasts after Democratic Senator Joe Manchin yesterday blindsided the White House by rejecting Biden's roughly $2 trillion tax and spending package, Ryan. Uh, meanwhile, mm. Europe's biggest nations, including Germany, are weighing more curbs to fight a surge in infections. Now turning to our neck of the woods, how have Asian markets opened this morning? Yeah, actually, it's interesting to see Asian markets are opening stronger. So quite a bit of conviction behind the numbers in some parts of Asia. You've got Japanese markets up by over 1%. And if you look at where Korea is right now, also above water by around 0.6%. Australia is also slightly above break-even by 0.1%. So that is interesting because we've seen how markets were pretty much going through a lot of pressure yesterday for almost a perfect storm of reasons. You've got the economic agenda under Joe Biden under question because his proposal, the $2 trillion Build Back Better plan, not supported by one key Democrat. And that means in the 50-50 Senate, it is not going to pass. So right now, in the works is a lot of them in the White House trying to scramble on what to do next and likely to see it being trimmed or repackaged in some form. So that is the um, busy Christmas period for them, they have to figure out. And then you also have the Omicron variant just causing a bit, a bit of a um, mess across Europe and in the US. Cases spiking and you now have restrictions, the prospect of more restrictions coming um, on board during the Christmas period. And of course, it's winter when you have potentially more people falling sick. So that is just putting quite a bit of um, a dampener on the trading mood across at least on Wall Street. And going into Asia, there seems to be a bit of bargain hunting going on right now, at least. Right. What are they looking for exactly? Okay, so if you look at what weight on markets overnight, it was quite a broad sell-off. Nine out of 11 sectors on the um, S&P 500 were down. So that was led by financial stocks. So the likes of JP Morgan and Bank of America were down by around over 1%. Goldman Sachs was down by 2.6%. The reopening plays also lower. So the likes of Las Vegas Sands lost 3.6%. And energy stocks falling alongside. We'll get into that in just a bit. So all in, you've got a bit of a seesaw um, tone going on in the past few weeks as investors try to digest the Omicron headlines. They've been going from positive to negative. And this also worth noting is how we have typically low volumes at the end of the year. So that means um, any move will be exaggerated with the thin volumes. So that would be one to watch. Also one to watch will be the um, EV stocks, the electric vehicle stocks. And that is because as part of the Triple B plans, the Build Back Better proposal, that was meant to give a lot of tax incentives for people hoping to transition to buying a, a greener car, so to speak. So that 
was priced in quite early and now with the prospects of the plan not possibly going through, you've got the likes of Tesla under pressure. That was down 3.5% overnight and also looking at some of the other EV makers like Lucid and Rivian, they were also under pressure. Lucid was down 4.2%. Even Chinese EV maker Neo was down 2.6%. So these companies could be one to watch uh, because it seems like some bargain hunting is coming back into the market. So maybe they could get a bit of a lift in the Tuesday action. So maybe we might still see that Christmas rally after all. We are just about about four days to Christmas. Um, Let's look at the headlines now, uh, along with what's happened in uh, the US markets overnight and how Asian markets are opening this morning. Uh, There's a big crypto sell-off and that's happening, uh, you know, on on the back of, um, you know, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. A lot of that month-long sell-off that we saw in cryptocurrencies, this has been especially painful uh, for holders and investors of Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. Uh, while Bitcoin has sank nearly 32% since November's record high, the 30 billion GBTC fund has not lost nearly 37% over that span and that widened the difference between GBTC's share prices and the underlying value of its Bitcoin holdings to negative 21% as of Friday's close. And this is according to data compiled by Bloomberg. The discount boils down to the structure of the trust this is what I find interesting. Mm-hmm. What is the story here, Ryan? Yeah, so if you look at what Bitcoin has been doing in the past year, we've seen it really do well, a strong run-up till November. And now, after that high recently, is coming back off. So some investors making take, t- taking some money off the table to buy Christmas presents or whatever reasons they have. So if you look at the year-to-date price for Bitcoin, it's still up by around 61%. Mm. But for the month, it is down by nearly 17%. So that kind of reflects how people have been selling off in recent weeks. And in turn, what you just pointed out, the GBTC or the um, Grayscale Investment Digital Currency Fund, Mm -hmm. that trust has been under pressure alongside Bitcoin prices. And that is something... that will pose a bit of a problem for investors because uh, these shares are not easily traded. They can't really find liquidity in the stock exchange, for example. So the only thing they can do is to find buyers in the secondary market. And this could mean with more selling, you could see the prices go down even more. So that is something that the group has itself been trying to do by intervening, by buying back more of its shares and this trust. So maybe that could go some way to stemming the damage, but it really depends on how Bitcoin prices go from here. And with how Bitcoin prices have been going in the past few months and weeks, it has been quite volatile, so quite dependent on how risk appetite um, goes from here. Yeah, I was looking at my app tracking all the cryptocurrencies this morning. Everything was in the red and has been in the red for quite some time. Uh, let's turn to some earnings uh, stories. Uh, Nike in particular uh, had its fiscal second quarter earnings and sales that topped Wall Street expectations. Hooray for them. Uh, consumer demand in North America was the biggest uh, contributor to these earnings. CEO John Donahoe said the retailer is in a much stronger competitive position than it was pre-pandemic. That's really interesting. So first off, I want to ask you, Ryan, what were the highlights from Nike's earnings? Okay, starting with the numbers first, you've got the earnings per share actually doing better than expected, 83 cents versus 63 cents. And revenue 
was also better. It was at $11.36 billion versus $11.25 billion expected. So net income rose, you've got revenue up. And what was responsible for it mainly was the North American market, Nike's biggest market. It was up 12%. So that was the highest growth of all geographies. And the other big question was, how did China do? So that was actually down. Greater China market was down 20%. So this was um, in focus because China has been one of the fast-growing engines for Nike. But the recent, the recent quarter has seen, seen a bit of a slump and Nike says fewer items were sold in China during the latest quarter in part due to lost production from the Vietnam factory closures and lower available infantry. So blaming the supply chain issues for the slump in China. Mm. Also worth noting, Europe, Middle East and Africa were up 6%. So you are seeing quite a broad um, overall growth story for Nike, um, but it has not um, pointed or upgraded or updated its um, outlook for the year yet. So that kind of points to how it is still sitting on its numbers and re- not... not um, ready to commit to any growth projections yet until there's more clarity. I'm sure Omicron has a lot to do with that. A lot of people in the pandemic exercising, but I think um, also because of the caution that's surrounding the new variants that do come up uh, as we head to the end of the year, um, a lot of companies do tend to err on the side of caution, I would say. Um, Nike also has a bit of a metaverse play. What's the latest on this? Yeah, interestingly, so you've got Nike recently announcing a acquisition in virtual sneaker company RTFKT, undisclosed amount. So it's a bit of a bet on the metaverse. And this will possibly see them eventually selling virtual Nike branded shoes and apparel. So it's one of the ways you could maybe dress up in your new world <laughs> of working and living in the metaverse if it does come to fruition. Athleisure, they call it. Athleisure. Athleisure at home. (laughs) But it could be anyone in the metaverse. You could have more than two legs to have more shoes if you want. So that is going to be something to watch out for, how Nike brands itself in the metaverse. And interestingly, if you look at digital sales for Nike, they were up 12%. And that could maybe point to how digital growth could be one of the main engines uh, for Nike in the years ahead. Mm, E-commerce. E-commerce is doing still growing very, very well, even for traditional brands like Nike. Um, let's move to the next story uh, that I have. I really like this one. Um, the big three auction houses, uh, that's Christie, Sotheby's are two of them. Uh, they hit a record of $15 billion in sales this year as a surge in global wealth. And this is the most interesting part. A wave of young first-time collectors drove these sales. Sotheby's said 44% of its bidders this year were new to the auction house, while half of the buyers at Philips were new. At Christie's, 35% of all buyers were new, two-thirds entering online. A third of their new buyers were millennials. What are they buying, Ryan? I want to know because I'm a millennial. I haven't bought anything. Well, maybe it's time for you to get on board because um, they are pretty much buying everything from art, classic cars, luxury goods, wines, watches, diamonds, everything online. And you know, if you've um, looked at how auction houses have been marketing themselves, they haven't really reached out to that part of the population um, strongly. So it's interesting to see how a lot of these millennials are turning to auctions. And 
it could be a sign of how in COVID-19 um, days, people have been trying to do new things and maybe auction houses have been benefiting from that. And mm. also, you know, this um, could be a reflection as well of how auction houses may be appealing to uh, this new crowd with the collection of stuff they have. Yeah, and I think uh, also there, there were Birkins as much as there were Basquiat's uh, on sale <laughs> at Christie's. And it's interesting that they didn't even need to do much marketing to attract uh, these millennial buyers. What was the most expensive item sold? Do you know, Ryan? Okay, this interestingly is a Pablo, Pablo Picasso art piece. And I can't pronounce it, so I'm going to leave it to you. It fetched <laughs> 103.4 million dollars at Christie's. So art, still maybe an investment. Something for you to look at, Andrea. Mm, I I will uh, put an, a bookmark on that. I don't really have the luxury wallet. Uh, also interesting was the proportion of NFT sales. Uh, even if uh, the auction houses may not necessarily have intended to attract uh, these millennial buyers, uh, a lot of the sales were also NFT driven. What can you tell us? Yeah, it's a... Uh Really interesting how this reflects the current trends, right? It's not just uh, digital sales of online auctions, but everything online and crypto related as well. So you've got all these crypto millionaires and tycoons now benefiting from the boom in prices, and they are now putting the money back into auctions as well. So this is leading to auction houses putting NFTs on the block. So it is a bit of a... a, a, a vicious or virtual cycle, virtual cycle where you've got now an NFT auction boom and if you look at what Chrissy's did in March uh, they launched back then the $69 million sale of Beeple's every day and since then they've racked up total NFT sales of $150 million Sotheby's has reported NFT sales of $100 million and it has also launched Sotheby's Metaverse, so a new marketplace for NFTs. Mm. So it is really trying to capture what they feel is the next big thing when it comes to auctions. And I just took a look at the name of that Pablo Picasso piece. I am uh, I took French for a year, but I'm still not going to attempt to pronounce that name. Uh, let's check in on some commodities uh, at the moment. Uh, how is oil doing? We mentioned that uh, oil had a major sell-off uh, in the US markets overnight. How How's it doing now? Yeah, so energy did not do well because of the cloudier outlook and those alongside falling oil prices. And let's take a look how oil prices did. So we've got a bit of a slump for Brent down 2.7% to $71.52. WTI down 3.7%, settling at around $68. But the good news is it is appearing to come back off those um, lows because if you look at the morning trade across Asia, there are some signs that some risk appetite is coming back and that's alongside the numbers we are seeing in the Asian markets as well. So that could be a bit of a revival for these oil prices. We'll see how this pans out in the coming hours. Excellent stuff. Thank you very much, Ryan Hung. We have more. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.